Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome to Office Hours, where we sit down with the chief executives shaping the world and answer your most pressing questions about leadership, careers, and life. I'm Mike Stibe, and today we are joined by my good friend, Michael Mislansky, the world's leading authority on reputation and crisis communications. As CEO of Mislansky & Partners, he advises companies ranging from Procter & Gamble to Toyota to Pepsi as they navigate industry transformations and crises. His book, The Language of Trust, Selling Ideas in a World of Skeptics, is one of the best books you will ever read on the power of language to influence others and how your communication strategy can create or destroy value. He's a regular and sought-after expert guest on TV and at industry events, and he knows more about the power of words than anyone you will ever meet. Michael Mislansky, my friend, welcome to the show. Mike, it is great to be here. Thank you for that intro. I'm gonna I'm gonna can that one and use it in the future. So I, you know, I always start with somebody's bio, but you're never allowed to say on your own LinkedIn, I'm the absolute best at this. But I know now I can quote you saying now that you I'm can, the exactly best. You can quote according to Mike Stibe on the Office Hours podcast, the best exactly. in the world. So getting ready for this, I was flipping back through your book, which I read probably eight or ten years ago, and it's fantastic. And I was reminded that your book has the four P's of communication, personal, plain spoken, positive, and plausible. My book, I don't know if you remember this, Michael, The Career Manifesto has the five P's. It's purpose, people, productivity, plan, and presence. It's a lot of P's for one podcast. It's a lot of P's. We're coming in like hot with alliteration for the rest of this podcast. So You know, P's, I would say that are the most commonly alliterated letter. Is that right? In my experience, it always comes down to a P. Sometimes well, we, a C. We promptly proceed to a plethora of questions from the audience. First question is from Cole in Boulder, Colorado, who says, I'm a disgruntled lawyer thinking about a second act. Michael, you made the transformation from lawyer to entrepreneur to industry leader. How'd you do it? And are there any lessons you would share? I think the important thing, if you're going to make a move, is to really take some time and appreciate what it is that you've learned in being a lawyer. I mean, how I learned to think as a lawyer, I use every day. How I learned to write, even though lawyers write 
in ways that are very different from what I do today. Uh, I've adapted that and it applies. I teach it to my team, basically, the, the, the approach that we learned in law school about issue, rule, analysis, conclusion. So there are lessons that you can learn that will help you get that next opportunity and make you good at the next thing that you do. There you go. And then from marketresearch.com to political consulting? So, yes, I went. I actually went backwards to political consulting. It's where I started my career before law school. I worked on Ross Perot's presidential campaign, who's back in the news now Not a lot. going to do it. <laughs> going to open up the hood. Uh, and, um, and so I ended up going back to work with the guy that I had worked with back then and, and transitioned that firm from political consulting to really broader communication consulting. And uh, broader communication consulting focused on politics. Focused on, well, politics, and then we evolved into the corporate space. I mean, really what we saw was an opportunity. If you think about the political world, uh, we started by framing issues, by changing the way you look at something like the estate tax and calling it the death tax, or even shifting the conversation around global warming to one around climate change. And we saw that there were opportunities to do that for corporations all the time, that if they wanted to, uh, to get more buy-in for what they were doing, more understanding, more credibility, that they could look at the language that they were using and think really, uh, really deliberately about how to talk about these issues and be more effective in what they were communicating. You know, there's a there's a question somebody had sent me on LinkedIn that I'm going to jump ahead to on this topic. Uh, it's Aisha in Toronto, Canada, said, ESG has become such a controversial term now. I always thought it was obvious that companies should care about the environment and society. How did the branding of this term go sideways? Hmm. So this is what you're referencing in your experience in political consulting. What, uh, what's happened there? You know, so I mean, obviously, we're living in an incredibly polarized world. And that is now affecting everything. And, and what you take is a term like ESG, it was never meant to be publicly communicated. It was meant as like a, a stakeholder term in, mm -hmm. in investments and for uh, sustainability stakeholders. And then all of a sudden, it goes public and you have critics out there who want to demonize it. And it's really easy to demonize a term that has no meaning. You know, most right. people don't know. People well, don't know the acronym. When we asked them what it was, we had, we had like handfuls of people saying it's eggs, sausage, and grits. So when you've got a term that has no <laughs> meaning, uh, it's really easy to turn into whatever you want. What's the case against ESG if it's eggs, sausage, and grits? Well, no, then, then I think you're right. People enjoy it. So, all right. Well, that's I appreciate that perspective. I'm going to go back to a question that was called in by Nora in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm in business development. This pod has great advice so far on persuasion and sales. How can language strategy make me a better seller? Uh, you know, I think, what are you doing when you're selling? You're using your language to communicate a value proposition. And the, uh, the approach that you take to understand the psychology of the buyer is really going to be uh, probably the most important thing that determines whether or not you're successful. And so we... We have all different techniques that we talk about when it comes to communicating in a sales context. I'll give you a couple. Yeah. Uh, the first is take objections. So in a lot of sales techniques, you need to handle objections after you've given your pitch. What I would say from a psychology perspective is if I know you're going to have an objection and I anticipate it and I kind of already kind of reposition that objection you, before you raise it. Load it up ahead of time. You know, you're never going to bring it up. As soon as you bring it up, by the way, that's all you're going to be able to think about because you're going to want to tell me your objection. So if I don't get to it before you do, I'm at a real disadvantage. Me, the audience. So I'm you, sitting there with my the objection. Buyer. I'm not hearing you because all I know is why I'm against right, it. Right. You want to you wanna kind of point out that there's a catch or that you've got that question that's going to prove that, that, you're, uh, that I am overcharging you or I'm taking right. advantage of you. So you anticipate the objection. Second, I'll give you one other. There's a lot of sales techniques that talk about creating a disturber. 
that you have to really like, you have to stir the waters to get people to want to buy. And what we find mm -hmm. over and over again in our testing is that, uh, that culture has advanced. We're much more sophisticated consumers today, right? We know these techniques that are going to happen. And if I just give you the negatives, if I just try and scare you into what's going to happen if you don't buy life insurance, for example, sure. right? Um, you're going to be A, either paralyzed or B, pissed off. Either way, you're not going to buy from me. And so rather than giving you a negative to try and disturb and scare you or kind of create a problem, I'm going to give you a solution that embedded within it, I've talked about the problem and told you how I'm going to solve it. So I'm giving you comfort. I'm giving you confidence that I'm going to make sure that you're protected, that you're taking care of your family and things like that, rather than just talking about what would happen if you don't buy it. One of the, um, which I'm sure you've read all the books on the topic of the Robert Cialdini's book, I really like. Um, and he has his six, now seven principles of mm -hmm. persuasion. I remember uh, one of them is he talks about sort of what you say before or after the word but to your mm -hmm. first point, right? It's like getting the objection out ahead of time. The difference between revenue is good this quarter, but there are headwinds ahead versus you say there are headwinds ahead. The revenue is good this quarter. Exactly. And you feel totally, yes. it's the same facts. You feel totally differently when you hear it. Absolutely. No, I mean, he's, he's brilliant at this, obviously. And I think that that's a really important point. The order uh, that we communicate messages makes a huge difference in terms of how they're perceived. Right. Sometimes you want to prime with a positive. Uh, sometimes you just want to, again, anticipate that negative so that people are less likely to be skeptical. There's also that principle of scarcity, which now you see it. Every, what, what is it they do in the... In those direct response commercials, they Act don't. Now? Yeah, they don't right. say operators are standing by. Right. They say if the line is busy, please try again. You're like, right. whoa! Everybody wants it. Like they can't even make the phones work over there. Yes. The crazy <laughs> thing is that it, it still works. It still I would works, imagine, which is is kind of shocking to some people. No, I mean it. It, 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 it I didn't know I wanted to go to Taylor Swift, mm -hmm. but now that I can't, and I can't get the tickets, I, I'm like, if I can get tickets, I'm going. Absolutely. Scarcity, yep. scarcity works. Any other books on this topic you love? Uh, not top of mind. Daniel Kahneman gets a lot of play. Yeah, but not necessarily as a sales. I mean, he's so uh, you know on the topic of like persuasion and and uh, and how we think about the human mind and how people respond to information. Kahneman, thinking fast and slow. Nudge is a great one. Uh, predictably irrational is one of my favorites. Actually, my favorite story from mm -hmm. that is about if you think about why popcorn, uh, the medium is really expensive. It's just slightly less than the large, and the small is much lower because we always like to choose the middle. And so we'll buy up to a more expensive medium popcorn. We won't go all in for the large, but we don't want the small. So they get their biggest margins on the medium soda That's nudge. and popcorn. That's from Nudge? That's from Predictably That's Irrational. That's from Predictably Irrational. Dan Ariely. Dan Ariely. All right. Well, we've got our reading list. We're rolling in next to one from Wyatt in Phoenix, Arizona, who says... Hey, I work in pharmaceuticals. My company is literally curing cancer. I think it's the most important work in the world and I'm very proud of it. But we are constantly being dragged in the media. What can my company and our industry do to win over public opinion? He makes a good point. Like we, we celebrate people who become billionaires with apps and we seem to, as a society, have something against pharmaceutical companies. You, you do a lot of work here. Yeah, I'll tell you, I was in a, a focus group, I'll never forget it, where woman stood up and said, I am on a life-saving uh, medication. It literally saves my life every day. I am still pissed off at the manufacturer who makes it because they charge me more than I want to pay. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, the prices are, it's and, not cheap. And so you have this, this like dissonance between the fact that people can, can respect the fact that these are breakthrough drugs, 
uh, and also really hate the fact that it's costing them so much because they don't have a choice. So that's the the, the biggest area of frustration. Right, for you people have a monopoly is, on the drug after you've invented it. But even even there, you know, even when when it goes generic, that's true. It it changes, right? But I don't have a choice whether or not I want to take this drug because I want to stay alive. So. Dying is not really a choice. Uh, and so if I have to pay a lot for it, I'm going to be really frustrated. And so what, what do pharmaceutical companies do? What do we do in situations like this? I think the first thing that we have to do is empathize with our audience. Okay. That we have to respect the fact that uh, charging them this amount of money is a hardship for them. And that we need to uh, we need to recognize that like you cannot get past that with people if you have mm -hmm. not acknowledged it. And so often, we want to persuade them. We want to use facts. We want to tell them how much it how much it cost us to innovate, how many years it took, how many failures there are of drugs. And the facts will not set you free when it comes to topics like this. If you want to shape public opinion, almost in every case, you have to show people that you care about them, you care about their issue. And that you're working hard to solve their problems. Uh, and mm -hmm. in this case, their problem is partly the, the condition that they're suffering from. It's partly the hardship or the feeling that they have about CEOs making lots of money yeah. and charging lots of money uh, and them having to pay lots of money. Have you seen examples from the industry where this has been done well? Um, yes. I mean, I think, I think there are, there are uh, companies in the industry and moments in time where the focus is on, on getting patients, uh, getting uh, medications to patients who need them, that they are really focused on the empathy side of the equation. Mm -hmm. And they, what they do is they try and persuade that they are the kind of company that you can trust and that if it costs a lot of money, well, it's not because they're trying to make money from you, but because that's what it costs. Right, it costs a lot of money to cure cancer. It costs a lot of money, right? And But I can't get you to listen to me and actually hear how much it costs to cure cancer until I've persuaded you that I care about you and that I'm that trying to do the right thing for you. That you're listening. And I know a lot of people who work in pharmaceuticals, they 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 do care about humans. It's what's drawn them to the, it's what's drawn them to the job. Absolutely, but, but also every time they try and say, well, it's billions of dollars and a decade to produce a medication and that's why we charge this much. And people say, I don't care. I want the, I want the medication and I don't want and you want to charge me this much. Because this they much. didn't start by being empathetic. Exactly. It's a good takeaway. Next, we have Zoe in Chicago who says, As a public relations professional, I like your take on what are the worst and best corporate communications practices you've observed. What should we learn from those as communicators? So you must have some favorites. Uh, I or, do. Or un, uh, unfavorites. I think the, so the, the biggest one is that some messages make you feel good. Some messages work and they're usually not the same. And so if you think about- You as you the communicator. Are, yes. Okay. Um, so if I'm trying to communicate a message, the things that resonate with me, they're going to make me feel good. Mm -hmm. They either, I'm defending my position. I'm telling you the facts that I know that you don't know. Uh, I believe the things that I'm talking about, whether or not you do. So they make me feel good. Yep. But the whole point of communication is that I'm trying to persuade you as the listener, right? Yeah. The things that make me feel good may, may not make you feel good. So I need to understand what makes you feel good and I need to communicate those messages. And so the first thing that, that communicators do is that, that they look at the world, it's navel gazing. They look at the world through their own you know, filter and they don't understand that they're communicating to somebody who's very different. Um, the second is 
the idea that you know. And when, by the way, on that yeah. point, we had Bob Pittman on the show, and he, he said he had his whole leadership team together, and he said, "Raise your hand if you drive to work." Mm. And this this company, iHeart Radio, iHeart Media, runs ads mostly in cars, and everyone around the room just looked at him like, "I don't drive to work." Right. He says, "You know, raise your hand if you like country music." Everyone's like, "I don't listen to country music." Uh, having that understanding that you often, as the communicator, are not the same as your audience is. Is an important takeaway from this. It's so discussion. important, and and any anyone in the world of really of business will say, well, obviously you need to know your audience, and then they forget that they need to know mm -hmm. their audience as soon as they start to communicate. And so, coming back to that idea is so important. Uh, the other one is, when was the last time you changed somebody's mind by telling them that they were wrong? No, it doesn't. That doesn't go well with me. It doesn't go well with anybody. Right? Like, and yet. In almost every case, when you're arguing with somebody, when you're trying to change their mind, mm -hmm. the place that you start is here, let me tell you all the reasons why you're wrong. Instead of telling them all the reasons why they're right, and then adding some information that's going to help them see your point of view as well. So I never mm -hmm. want to persuade you. I want to engage you and then show you information that's going to change your perspective on things. And presumably through the course of that, sometimes you will change your mind. You're trying to understand someone else's position that may, that, that, that may move you off the mark. Yes. And now are there, are there specific campaigns or moments you've seen? Like I remember like, remember when JetBlue left everyone on the, everyone on the runway? Was this in your book? This uh, is in my was. mind for yes. a reason. So yes. do you remember the, tell, tell everybody this story because they, I sure mean, they I remember the story. bombed the execution. <laughs> right. So the people were just trapped on an airplane for seven hours on the tarmac. They're like, we want to get off. Like, oh, you can't do that. And then afterward, they like, they did this whole thing, this whole like bill of rights for customers. Mm. And they, they ran media all around it. And they really tried to fix the problem. And they were like, we screwed up. We should have never done that. And they went back to the consumer and tried to make it right. I felt that was one where I, I felt like somebody who knows what they're doing is talking yes. to, the, talking yes. to the consumer. You know, so there they, in so often in those cases, they're trying to defend their actions, right? And they're trying to explain why it wasn't as bad as you thought it was, or why there were circumstances outside of their control. And that never works. So we were doing work in the energy industry during a period of high bills. And, um, and, and a lot of the companies out there wanted to say, hey, our bills are high because there's a war in Ukraine, there was a pandemic, there's supply chain shortages, gas prices have gone way up. And so really, like, we just want you to understand that it's not our fault, it's the supply chain. And, and customers were like, I don't wanna hear that. But if instead they said, look, I understand that, that uh, getting the energy you need is critical to the life that you wanna live. And we're doing everything that we can to make sure that that energy is as affordable as possible. Here are some of the things that we're doing. Right. Oh, and by the way, these are some of the reasons why it happened. And we're gonna try and be you know, better prepared for that in the future. I'm gonna get much further with the empathy, the understanding, uh, the acknowledgement that you're pissed off and that I'm now trying to take action to do something that I am by denying that you're angry. This is good. Although people try to hack this one when they say to me like, I don't disagree. I hope you don't <laughs> tell your clients to do that. This does not work. This does not work. The, uh, I don't disagree, Mike, but it's, I'm like, uh, then, say, then, then say you agree and let's stop, let's stop. Let's, uh, no. <laughs> let's roll on to the next topic. The other ones when people I don't are like, disagree with you. People have exactly. People have uh, people have also the, I, there's there's some uh, I don't know what course out there at Harvard Business School on convincing people they've taught people to, don't say don't say yeah but say yes and. and I hear people replacing the but with an and when it's clearly supposed to be a but. Yes, if if what comes after the and is different than what was before, <laughs> it's still going to sound that way. Faithful listeners, don't do it. Mm. Please don't do it. 
AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Uh, the next question you're going to have, uh, have fun with, it's from... Eliana in Asheville, North Carolina. Politics seem to be more divided and the way we talk about politics more vitriolic than ever. You came out of political consulting. What would you say is at the root of this? First of all, I love Asheville. The rapids there. Are... You got Michael and I've actually been, but we've been to Asheville. <laughs> and there's a, there's a place where you can go rafting and it's like class three to four rapids. It is class zero rapids. Zero. All due respect to the great town. Great Ash, town. Great Ash, town. We was, I think we missed, we missed the weather or something. Yes. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what we missed. We good missed food. something. There's good yes. food. Yes. Uh, so politics. So I think, you know, we've seen this trend for a long time on uh -huh. politics. And what has really emerged is that you've got a, a duopoly. You've got a business model that is built around extremism. It is built around monetizing anger. It is built around kind of encouraging bad behavior, mm -hmm. right? If you think mm -hmm. about where all the money goes, people get funded if they are 
more extreme, more um, kind of binary in their positions. They get uh, they get on TV if they yell and scream, but not if they're moderate. Uh, and right. uh, and all of the like centrifugal forces pull people out to the extremes. Right. It's hard to be heard if you're a, a moderate. Right. It's like what, they're, what, they're what giving do we out want? candy. What do we want? Reasonable compromise. Right. When do we want it? Uh, we're willing to negotiate and it work is, together. It is the biggest problem in politics right now mm -hmm. is that really the extremes are giving out candy and the middle is is telling you to eat a salad. And the <laughs> okay. question is like, how do you make that powerful and compelling uh, and find that really mobilize the middle of American politics and say that, look, this is, if we sit around the kitchen table, we always make decisions based on finding common ground, based on yeah. some kind of common sense, some balance, some, some sense of compromise. Uh, all of a sudden, we go out into this world of politics, and it's, it's yes or no, it's black or white, it's up or down. You're and with us or you're against yes, us. Yes, exactly. You've read The Righteous Mind. I have. There's a lot there about how our, our own sort of psychology it's, and our own intuitions are upstream of our morality and our morality is upstream of our politics. Do you read that? Do you take away from that that, there is, that there's no way to get back to a middle ground because of the way we're wired? Or are we just missing? Is there some trick that we're missing in, in, the, in how we talk to each other? And how we communicate, or the or the or the choices people are given. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question, and I, and I think some of it goes back to uh, to this idea that some messages make you feel good and others work. Like if I am a Republican and I'm talking to Republicans, then the messages that make me feel good are going to make them feel good as well. If I want to go talk to Democrats, then I need to understand what works with them. And there is an overlap, right? It is just about whether or not you want to find it. So what Jonathan Haidt talks about is that. For Democrats, they're much more focused on messages around caring and around caring in general. For uh, Republicans, it's much more about liberty versus oppression. And, and there are ways to find messages that bridge the gap, sure. but you have to be looking for them. And most people are not really looking for them. Right, because Democrats care about liberty too. And Totally. And, and, it's, and Republicans care about yes. fairness. In fact, I, I'm doing a lot of work right now to try and find those shared American values that we can talk about and then a, a language that we can really communicate effectively to reach people in the middle of the political world, you know, kind of moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans and independents and say, look, there is so much more that we agree on than what we disagree on and that unites us rather than divides us. And we got to go forward and really show how powerful we can be. And, you know, and as much as the the last Gallup poll said that the, the that 49% of Americans are independent, which is the highest number I think recorded in, if not forever, in like 30 years. Yes. So in a way, we're more polarized than ever, and yet there's also more people who don't want to be polarized than ever. Absolutely, but you've got the people on the extremes who yell louder, right? And they, so you've got, you've got loud voters on the extremes, you've got loud politicians on the extremes, you've got loud media on the extremes. Mm -hmm. And so they create this environment that really amplifies all the polarization and everybody else who really wants to have uh, a balanced conversation, who can have a reasonable conversation on topics on which they disagree. They're just like, whoa, uh, this, is not, this is not how I operate. And there's no, there's no platform for them mm -hmm. to effectively kind of communicate, get votes, get support. But well, when you find the words and you yes. find you, find, you we'll have you back on the show and you can you can clear this up for us because Eliana is asking a really good question. Um, this next one's on politics too. 
this is a pol- we haven't had a mm. politically oriented one. It must yet. be in the air. It must be. I think it's in, maybe it's in the guest. Benjamin in Los Angeles, California asks The rise of Donald Trump has been one of the most shocking developments in American politics this century, and he has the most unusual communication style, too. Is there a connection between the two? Yes, for two reasons, I would say. First is, and I got, um, I think I got more uh, flaming comments from uh, friends when I when I first wrote this than for anything else that I've written. Is that you know very early on in Trump's uh, campaign in in 2016, uh, it was clear that he was connecting with people uh, in a way that Hillary Clinton was not. And the first reason was that he had three things that he was focused on. Right, he was going to make America great again. He was going to build the wall. He was going to forget what the third thing was. Mm-hmm. If you went to Hillary Clinton's website, she had 112 reasons and counting, as if the 113th reason was going to be the one to get you over the right. limit. Right. So, what does she stand for? You don't know. She stands for 112 different things. He stands for three. Mm-hmm. So, the first was that he was much better at engaging people in a discussion on things that they cared about, and the second thing was that we are. Uh, I think largely for worse, in kind of a crisis of expertise, where it used to be in America that we respected the people who were experts at things, who had who had spent 40 years becoming right. really qualified to do things. Right. We now generally reject that, or at least on the extremes, we reject that. We reject science in a lot of cases on both sides of the aisle. Um, mm-hmm. And experts, we'd much rather hear from regular people. Right. This always comes up in political campaigns. People are like, oh, I don't think I'd want to have a beer with him. That is I, the most important indicator of who's going who, who, uh, to win the presidency is almost always who you'd rather have a beer with. I have, there's tons of people I enjoy having beers with who I just don't think are qualified to be president. Yes, but you're, you, you're uh, kind of uh, uh, Maybe I'm not test. the example. You're not, the, not example. the example. Okay. So you heard um, a clear message connecting with the audience. Uh, he also uses really small words. Mm. Like it's the the language is, I don't know if it's if it's just how he talks or if it's a if it's a if it's a technique he's developed. But the degree to which the 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 language is so simple, that's got to be part of how not just that he's few things to say, but he says this is bad. Yes, this is sad. Somehow Absolutely. breaks through. Yes. Well, look, I mean, we we just sort of pull a bunch of streams together of things that we've been talking about, and one of those four P's of mine, not your five P's was plain spoken, right? Yeah. You have to speak in the language of the people. Uh-huh. And uh, and we often try and make things harder to understand than they need to be. He makes it very easy to understand, right? Two legs good, four legs bad. You know, it is, right. it is very easy to understand where he stands on things. And so you're, you're either with him or against him. And on the topics that he picked, there were a lot of people with him. And so it really resonated. I have a, um, one of my colleagues was asking me for sort of advice on being a better public speaker. And I said, one of the things we actually talked about on this podcast was um, recording yourself speaking and watching for the nuances. But another one I found is really powerful is watching um, people who have become uh, famous or important through presenting. Watch Bill Clinton's Democratic National Convention speech and the way he connects with the audience and when he goes off prompter and how he's so smooth and watch anything Obama's done. Watch old Reagan clips. They're all different, but every one of them has developed this technique for connecting with the audience. 
And what I what I also tell people is like you have to watch an entire Trump rally mm-hmm. because if you're in the same media media echo chamber I'm in, you get the the insane clips and you're like I can't believe anyone hears him. And when you watch the whole show and the way that he riffs and iterates and riffs and and then he's talking and then out of nowhere he's talking about wind turbines and then he goes ah oh, they kill so many birds and he starts calling them a bird graveyard and then the audience starts reacting to it and he's like found a thing and he just works it but as you're trying to become a great communicator watching folks who have gotten to where they are by communicating and absorbing all of it without you know by putting your personal emotions aside uh, I've advised folks is a great way to get good. I would actually say you probably learn more. If you're an anti-Trumper, you probably learn more from listening to Trump than you do from listening to Clinton and Obama. Because when you listen to Clinton and Obama, you're going to get taken in by the things that you agree with. And if you watch Trump and you say, look, I disagree with everything that he has to say. I have to understand why he's resonating with people. Uh, then you'll you'll really understand how he does exactly what you said, which is kind of riff off yeah. the people and build on what they have to say and listen to what works and then respond to it. So we've covered some power of language stuff and in some of the ways it, it permeates our politics. We're back to a question um, and how this affects how companies communicate with their consumers and employees. It's from Carter in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He says, my company was very vocal on social justice issues after George Floyd. There was then a lot of pressure to make statements on other issues, including legislation. Recently, our early statements on the crisis in the Middle East went very badly. How should organizations navigate this complicated landscape? It's a it's a really difficult challenge in general. You must have it's a lot that, of co- yeah. companies coming yes, to you on this topic yes. right now. Um, you know, whether it's on Israel, we saw it on on Dobbs. We saw it obviously after uh, George Floyd. Are they generally murdered. smart enough to come to you ahead of time, or is everyone coming to you after they after they made the first mistake? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are there are a lot of companies who have actually gotten pretty adept at this and kind of understand where to be careful, and then there are others who come after. <laughs> you know, come after they've already right. made a statement, and then you're and, helping and, to clean yeah, up the yeah. mistakes. You know, I think the 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 biggest lesson to understand is that uh, Americans do not all share the same values, mm-hmm. right? And that uh, if you go out there and you say that I'm going to, you know, we're doing the right thing and that's why we believe X, that not everybody's going to agree with you and anybody who disagrees with you is now going to hate you, right? right? There's a lot of pressure internally to say one thing that doesn't often uh, align with what a broad you know, national customer base may agree with. And so you've got to I mean, watch from your own employees. Own employees who tend to be more progressive, tend to be the most vocal about a lot of these social issues, want you to speak up on their issues. And yeah, so you're being pushed to talk about a lot of issues that you wouldn't otherwise want to talk about. I think the lessons that we've learned are, first of all, that there are issues that you don't need to talk about. You know, if they are not related to your business, uh, if they don't impact your business, then the question is, why are you talking about them? Usually, if they don't relate directly to your business, but they relate to your values and you've spoken about your values, then yeah. you may want to consider making a statement. It may be just an internal statement or it may be an external statement. But where I think the biggest change has happened in the last you know, kind of year or so is that the companies are, I think, appropriately much more reluctant to take political positions. We see now only about a third of Americans think it's appropriate for companies to take uh, positions on political issues. Okay. Uh, they, they, and they will boycott you if you take the wrong position. And so the place that you can avoid, even on Israel and, and, uh, uh, Hamas and Palestinian 
situation is focus on how it impacts your employees, focus on universal values that are going to less likely to, uh, to cause problems. And so it is mourning the loss of life. Mm-hmm. You know, being anti-terrorism is a pretty safe base. Uh, of and, um, and then from there, it gets more challenging. And so you have to really know why it is that you want to wage into a battle beyond, you know, uh, I'm opposed to terror. I mourn the loss of life. I value peace. I'm taking care of my employees. You know, those are the places that you can, uh, that you can communicate a position without uh, getting yourself into trouble. And something we talk a lot about at work is that, 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 that our company was created to achieve a particular mm-hmm. mission. To your point, whenever things come up, we first run it through that framework, which is, is this going to help us to be a better company and better achieve our mission? And then secondly, what creates the environment that's most inclusive for your employees? And a lot of times, the issue is it's something of it's something on, the, on a topic of equity. It's something on a topic of diversity. It's important to lean into those for us mm-hmm. because that is what creates a more inclusive environment at work and in our broader market, which is aligned to our to our mission. Other times, if it's just a polarizing issue, it's going to make some portion of the people at work feel unincluded, mm-hmm. and that doesn't help us be good teammates. It doesn't help us to achieve the mission. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We have one from a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, Joey in Scottsdale, Arizona. I think we often forget about communication and building trust when we walk through the doors at home after a long day. And so I'm I'm wondering what lessons you've each learned about communication that translate to success as a spouse and as a parent. Well, I want to hear your answer first. One of the insights I get from you as a communications expert is simplicity and repetition and values-based communication. And when our kids were little, uh, we made a we, we made a conscious choice to sort of ground our instructions to them in values rather than in do this, don't do that. So we said our values are work hard, take care of people, and be brave. 
So if you weren't nice to another kid at school, it's in the context of, did you take care of other people? If you didn't uh, try hard in the uh, little soccer league, were you being brave? For everything else, if you're like, I want to get in the tub with my socks on, I'm like, I don't know, get in the tub with your socks on. It's, it, there's nothing in the core values that prohibits it, so give it a try. And that, um, I think that's a way in which a lot of your lessons on communication, uh, I think our kids have turned out pretty good. I think helped, uh, helped, helped me to be a better dad, helped us to be better parents. That's great. How about you? You know, I bring everything back to relationships. I think, you know, in the context of trust and where I focus a lot of how do you build trust with someone, um, the, the way that you do it in a personal relationship and the way that you do it with a customer or an employee, I think are very similar. Mm -hmm. And that is that you are really trying to get the benefit of the doubt um, that when you say something, it is going to be treated at face value, right? Um, when you lose trust, all the benefit of the doubt goes out the window. Yeah. And so if, uh, if I have a, a relationship with someone and there's a breach of trust, uh, I can no longer say what my motives are. Like, I can't say I care about you because their response will be, well, then why'd you do X? Right. I don't, I don't trust right? your answers anymore. So I can say, well, let me show you how I care about you because then I'm proving it with motives. But so when, when it comes to thinking about like what, what is lost when you lose trust and what is gained when you have it, you know, um, whether you can talk about motives, whether people are going to behave kind of rationally, whether they are going to, um, uh, whether they're going to, th whether they're going to take what you say at face value, it all comes down to that trust. And you can build that trust by being more personal, making sure that I know what's in it for you, like how you're going to feel about something, mm -hmm. being positive about things, being, you know, being credible. And so all the lessons that, that I teach companies, I also think apply with my kids, with, with Susie and yeah. more generally. Well, having been able to observe your communications and be in contact with you for a number of years, I can tell you it, it makes it makes things around you better. So to our to our friend Joe, the I think the the lessons of what we've been hearing from Michael today on how you build trust with language, on on how you make yourself clear, on how you how you're more sensitive to what your audience is hearing, not just what you're saying, is uh, is powerful and it's valuable. And I hope all of our listeners got as much out of this today as I did. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Mike. Well, my friends, today we talked about the power of language with the number one expert on the topic in the world. And one of the things Michael says a lot, he says it in his podcast, Hearsay, which I, I strongly recommend. He says it in his book, The Language of Trust, which I strongly recommend. And and, and it, I believe it's even the tagline for his company is it's, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. And I wanted to leave everyone with that thought today because you're communicating constantly, whether it's home or whether it's, whether it's at work. And so often we're wondering, why didn't people follow what I said? Why didn't people believe me? Well, why didn't I get the right response? And putting it in that framework, what did I say versus what do I think they may have heard might help to make you a better communicator. But I also want to remind everyone that we're on the other side of that too. We often hear what someone else didn't mean to say. We've got this, we've got this phrase we always use at work, assume positive intent. And as you, as you look at your work and your life over the next week or so, and if this podcast sticks in your head, I hope you'll also ask yourself, you know, what I heard, is that really what the other person meant to say? And how can I get to the bottom of it? 
because better communication is ultimately what brings us together and it's what helps us to succeed at work and it's what helps us to have great relationships in life and it's what I want for all of you. So thanks for tuning in today, everybody. We've got some amazing guests coming up the next few weeks, including a world-class Silicon Valley operator, an iconic New York City restaurateur, and more. So text or call in your questions at 213-419-0596 or just hit me up on LinkedIn at Mike Stibe. I want to thank Michael and, of course, Jen, Jada, and the team at Blue Duck Media for putting all this together. Dylan, Sasha Gay, Nathan, and Christine at iHeart. Bahid making the magic happen in the studio. And Ben and the team at William Morris Endeavor for all their support. Office Hours is a production of Blue Duck Media and distributed by iHeartRadio. I'll see you next week, everybody. Stay on your grind. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.